If you are anything at all like me, then you experience life moving pretty furiously and fast sometimes. Um, Chances are maybe especially in this particular season of the year, you experience the hurry and the clutter of this season. It is difficult, I find, personally, I don't know what it is like for you, to stay present to, awake to, aware of what's happening around me when life is moving this loudly and rapidly. Uh, It seems sometimes that, especially in these busy days, I lose a sense of the value of time itself. We know this, of course, to some extent from our past experience. How many of us found that our school days just went like this? I mean, one moment it seemed like we'd never get out of math class, and the next moment math class was over forever, and all those opportunities to hang out with our friends and to have life so carefree were gone. And we spend the rest of our lives, in a sense, wishing, oh, I wish I could go back and just reclaim uh, some of that. Our kids grow up. They're out the door before we know it. And then we find ourselves uh, aware of, of how good that time was with them. How precious were those moments together. We were told so often when we were in the middle of it, pay attention, it'll be gone before you know it. But we didn't really fully pay attention. And the days were gone before we knew it. Sometimes the news comes that a, a dear friend has suddenly died or a loved one has suffered a stroke. We mourn all of the missed opportunities to see that person, to say what we want to say, to hear from the heart of that person. And if we're not very, very careful, then the sheer hurry and clutteredness of day-to-day life will numb us to the amazing gifts that are available to us, open to us, here and now, before this season is gone. This, I think, is why, at least part of why, I've been personally interested in this approach we've been taking together during the Advent season as we've been looking at the Christmas story. For those of you just here this morning for the first time, we've been trying to look at Christmas through angel eyes. We've been trying to step back and ask ourselves what the angels saw that we might somehow miss amidst all of the dizzying array of distractions in our time. As I've been trying to unpack in recent weeks, the Bible teaches us that, that there are angelic beings, a spiritual race of beings that have been around since the beginning of the universe. And this Race of beings sees life more clearly than we do. Living in that invisible place of of existence that the Bible calls simply the heavens, the invisible places, angels are able to see the flow of history all at once. They can see the deeper meaning of the events of our lives. They see the supreme significance of Jesus to everyone on the earth, whether they follow him or not. The angels, I suggested in our first study, saw the Christ child. I mean, they really saw 
the Christ child. And they knew that anyone who really took this being into the center of their lives would find that he changed everything. He would ripple out and change things from the inside out. Indeed, he would transform the course of history itself. An unthinkable proposition at a moment that Rome was in control. And yet, it became true. Jesus changed Western civilization and indeed has left his mark across this entire earth. The angels also saw, I suggested in the second week, in the manger, the sign and evidence of God's sacrificial love. They understood at a deeper level than we may get, really, that this manger and the cross that it points us to in the future is the sign of the sacrificial love and forgiveness that we so desperately need to be filling our homes and our work relationships and our politics and our social interactions. We need this sacrificial love that Jesus comes to give us, to model for us, and to call us to. But I believe there was something else that the angels saw. I think there was something else that they perceived that we need to see with greater clarity too before it's too late. We need to understand as the angels really did, and I'm going to demonstrate that to you, that Advent is not just a sweet celebration of Christ's first coming. It is also a sobering call to get ready for Christ's second coming. Adventus, the word Advent, means the coming. And Christians through the ages far more frequently have focused their energies on the reality of the promised second coming than they have gotten stuck on simply enjoying the sentimental thoughts of the first. So, Let's think about this together this morning. If there was a more gracious, inviting way for God to make his good intentions, his good heart towards humanity clear and available than in the story that the Gospels tell of Christ's first coming, then I have not been able to figure it out myself. It was, it was possible, if it was truly possible, to make his invitation to all of humanity any clearer, any more available than in the story the Gospels tell us of Christ's first coming, I don't know what it would be. I want you to think about that with me this morning. Is there any picture of divine love that you can think of that is more universally understandable than the image of God becoming a baby and reaching out its hands Toward the world. Is there any image more universally understood than the image of a child reaching up for those who come near? Can you come up with a more vivid way of communicating the desires of God towards people than the tales that Jesus told about the shepherd who left everything to find one lost sheep? 
Or the story of the father who spread his arms to welcome home the son who'd wished him dead and took half of his money. Can you think of a story that more broadly communicates the love of God for people than the story of the Palestinian Samaritan who nurses back to health the very Jew who despised him in the parable of the good Samaritan. Is there some better means to transmit across all lines of gender, all boundaries of culture, all limits of language, the idea that God cares passionately for people than the images that the Scripture give us of Jesus just living life? Embracing lepers. Sitting down to dinner with adulterers and prostitutes. Stooping down and washing the feet of traitors. Can you conceive of a way of conveying the outrageously open heart of God toward people that improves on the image of seeing him spreading his arms on a cross for their sake or gasping out words of forgiveness for his crucifiers or letting letting a murdering thief into paradise at the 11th hour and 59 minutes simply because he humbly said, give me grace, just remember me. Can you picture a more gracious invitation to the world than all of this. If there was a better way for God to express His gracious heart, His open invitation to humanity to return to Him, if there was a better way of doing it than in the birth, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, this being who came to earth at Christmas, then I haven't been able to think of it. And I've tried. I have tried to figure out whether there might have been a better way for God to communicate his desires to this planet. I tried to think of a means of making the message clearer or more globally accessible than this gospel, which has now been translated into almost every language of the world and by the year 2025, will be in every mother tongue on planet earth thanks to computer technology i've tried to think could god have found a better way of getting the vision out of who he is and what he wants i suppose he could have incarnated himself in every generation he could have put a jesus in every generation and i've wondered sometimes why he instead incarnated himself in his spirit-filled body, the church. I wonder sometimes if it was wise to leave it up to us. But I think that if we could see through angel eyes what they saw, I suspect we would be amazed in spite of all of our desires to rearrange the plans of God. I think we would be amazed that the awesome God took such pains to reveal himself to humanity with such color and clarity, with such love and lowering of himself. I think we would be amazed if we could see what angels see, that God did this even once. Even once.
you see angels see God as he is. The angels knew the Son of God without swaddling clothes or a growling stomach. They knew him without blisters on his feet or bacteria on his skin. The angels had seen the Son of God before he had marks on his hands or put on that decaying flesh that momentarily veiled his glory. They knew him as the divine word through which all things had been created and even now are being held together. They had shielded their eyes before the brilliance of his being. They'd seen him as the splendid son before whom the entire host, that's the angelic armies of heaven, bowed their knees in rapturous, joyful worship for all of time. And the angels saw, as we don't yet see, how unthinkably gracious it was that he had gone to such lengths to reach out to a race so sin-sick, so sin-blinded, that it had turned its back on him. But the angels knew it was not going to be this way forever. As they gazed upon Christ's life on this earth, they knew that the next time the Son of God came in person to this planet, it would be in a very different form. (laughs) A very different form. And they passed this promise on to human beings. The first time Jesus came, He came in the form of a little baby, a peasant man, an ordinary person. He did not come in the fullness of all of who he was. Why? Because it would have terrified us. He did not want to compel us or coerce us or scare us into following him because he wants a relationship of love. And love must be chosen. But the next time he comes, the next time he comes, it will be different. And the angels tell us about this. Acts chapter 1 says that on the day of Christ's ascension, back into the invisible realm, two men dressed in white, that's code for angels, stood beside the first disciples. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go. Jesus had actually said much the same himself earlier on, as Mark chapter 13 records. Be on your guard, Jesus told his disciples. I'm telling you everything ahead of time so that you'll be ready, so that you'll be prepared for my return, so that you'll recognize the signs of the times, the Bible says. In the last days of history, said Jesus, the world is going to become a place of greater confusion and calamity as the cumulative effects of sin and evil wreak havoc upon the earth. 
you will hear of wars and rumors of war, and those rumors will escalate. Nation will rise against nation, said Jesus, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines. These are just the beginning of birth pains, Jesus said. Persecution against you who have followed me, who have been faithful to me, will intensify. It will be a very trial-filled time for you. Families will deteriorate further. They will turn against one another, said Jesus. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine children who would actually kill their parents or parents that would actually kill their children? I hope such a day never would come on this earth. You couldn't imagine that on this earth, could you? And false prophets will arise and gain the following of many. Spiritual leaders will come up and deceive many, many people. Pray, said Jesus, that this will not take place in winter. Pray that it won't be December in Chicago. Because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning. When God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. And then Jesus said, when the gospel has been preached to all nations, when the gospel has gone out everywhere and everyone's had a chance to hear it, the end of history as we know it will come. There will be a cataclysmic disruption of the world around us, of the environment. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light is the sort of the figures of speech that Jesus gives to this. The universe, in a sense, is shuddering in the final pangs of the new birth. And at that time, says Jesus, men will see the Son of God coming in clouds with great power and glory. Did you catch that? Did you see the difference? between the second coming of Jesus and the first coming. I've given you a clue on the cover of your worship bulletin today. At his first coming, only Mary and Joseph, nobodies, only a few shepherds, lower than nobodies, just a few wise men, strangers from the Middle East, saw it, saw what was happening. And even they didn't begin to get it all. When Jesus comes the second time, however, Every person on earth will see it as through angel eyes. Jesus will not come any longer as the timid one. Jesus will come with all of the staggering power and the stunning glory which he voluntarily subdued at his first advent in order to build a relationship of love with us. At his second coming, he will be a lion instead of a lamb. He will be a judge instead of a savior. He will no longer be the kid in the crash. He will be the king on the throne. No one, not one, will miss it. At that time, said Jesus, God will send his angels The first time the angels came, it was to say, get ready. 
The second time, it will be to say, were you ready? God will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven, which is to say he'll gather up the faithful on earth and the faithful in heaven. He'll bring them together. And then the day of final judgment on sin that God has been so patiently holding off out of love for people will come at last. And the sheep who have responded to Christ's voice in this life will be separated from the hard-hearted goats who did not respond to the gracious invitation that was given for so many centuries as God waited and longed for one more, one more, one more to come home to him. But those who have not turned to God in this long season of grace that he has allowed before his first and final coming will be lost forever. Those who have heard his voice and responded to him, as imperfect as they still are, will be welcomed into his home and share in the new creation. But those who have said no to God in this life, to Jesus in this life, will be without him forever. There will not be a second chance. There will not be a redo There will not be any more hallway passes. There will be no more warning tickets. No chance to explain ourselves or excuse ourselves out of our condition. The choice we made in this life to live with Christ or to live without him will be ours forever. We must decide to say in this life, Father, thy will be done. Or he will say to us in the next life, thy will be done. No one, no one knows the day or hour this will happen, said Jesus. No one knows the exact time or year of this fulfillment. Not even the angels in heaven know it, the exact time. Nor the Son, said Jesus, but only the Father. Therefore, said Jesus, keep watch. Be on the balls of your feet. Respond now. Be ready. Keep watch because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back, whether it will be in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows at the end of the day or at the dawn. If he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. (laughs) Some of us are doing that. We're sleeping. We think we'll get up later. We keep hitting the snooze button on God's call to us. We're not changing. We're not giving our lives to him. We're not opening our hearts to Jesus. We think, I'll just sleep a little longer. Don't let him catch you sleeping, says Jesus. What I say to you, I say to everyone, declares Christ. Watch. Watch. Be awake. See and respond. To the gracious invitation now. My hands are reaching up to you from this cradle. My hands are reaching out to you from this cross. Please, please come home to me, says Jesus. Before I come home to you. Many, many years ago. 
Diane Frances Donenfeld found herself pondering these words of Jesus in Mark chapter 13. She was disturbed by them. Honestly, they, they were upsetting to her. They were challenging to her in terms of her own life and in terms of the life of the people she knew. And she, she, she struggled to resolve this very sobering call with all the sentimentality she was meeting at Christmas. And so she felt moved to write a poem in which she tried to bring this truth to life in the midst of our secular world. Hoping to recover the meaning of the message of Jesus, Donenfeld penned a poem whose format you will probably find a little bit too cute. You will certainly recognize it, but whose urgent, urgent message I hope you will take very much to heart today. I hope you will, as I do. "'Twas the night before Jesus came, and all through the house not a creature was praying." Not one in that house. Their Bibles were laying on the shelf without care in hopes that Jesus would not really come there. The children were dressing to crawl into bed, not once ever kneeling or, or bowing ahead. And mom in her rocker with babe in her lap was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter that I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but angels proclaiming that Jesus was here with a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray. I knew in a moment this must be the day. The light of his face made me cover my head. It was Jesus returning just like he'd said. And though I possessed worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I saw him in spite of myself. In the great book which he held in his hand was written the name of every saved man. He spoke not a word as he searched for my name when he said, it's not here. My head hung in shame. The people whose names had been written with love, he gathered to take to his father above with those who were ready, he rose without sound while all of the rest were left standing around. I fell to my knees, but it was too late. I had waited too long and thus sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight. Oh, if only I had been ready. Ready tonight. In the words of the poem, the meaning is clear. The coming of Jesus is drawing near. There's only one life 
And when comes the last call, we'll find that the Bible was true after all. If we could see through angel eyes, if we could hear what angels long to tell, this would be what they'd say. We have seen the power and the glory of the coming of the Lord. And you don't want to miss it. We have seen it. We do not know the day or the hour of that coming. But we know God's heart. We know that history, and certainly yours, is moving to a fast close. We know that the good news of great joy that is for all people is that the Son of God wants to bring everyone home with Him. This is the season of grace the angels beg us to see. Now is the day of salvation. Do not miss it because very soon, sooner than you may know, sooner than your loved ones may believe, this season, this season of opportunity, may be gone. Please pray with me. Almighty God, you who so loved the world that you sent your only Son to be its Savior. If there is any one of us who has never invited you to be the center, to be the source, to be the Savior and Lord of our lives, forgiving our sin, guiding us from here, Lord, hear the prayer, the humble prayer of that person who's ready for this to be that day that day of new beginning, that day of great hope, great joy, good news. In the silence of this moment, hear that precious soul as she or he asks you in. And then, Lord God, for the rest of us, for all we who hold the good news, who have caught a glimpse of the truth, but have never really taken very seriously your call to share it as witnesses to this world, send us forth afresh, we pray, to seize the moment of opportunity before this time has passed. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.